Well, let us begin. We, this is our uh, final week. Um, so closing kind of trying to tie up uh, loose threads and uh, wrap up our discussion. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for the time that we've had uh, throughout this semester to discuss uh, the defense of the faith. Father, tonight I pray that our discussion would be useful and profitable. Um, certainly, Father, we pray that we would honor you in all that we say in Christ's name. Amen. Um, this is going to be a real grab bag of just here, here are related uh, topics on apologetics. Just, just here's a thing I hadn't mentioned before. Here's another thing maybe I hadn't, hadn't mentioned. Uh, and, and as I mentioned uh, previously, as I did mention, uh, I, I, I would like this, this session to be a little bit more question and answer. Um, you know, here are, you know, okay, Riley, you said all this and that, but how, how would I deal with my friend who says this? You know, that, that kind of stuff. Um, I think we'll make this this time profitable. Um, so, so two thoughts, just very practically, uh, to, to start off the discussion. Uh, two topics that I want to discuss. The first is uh, creating opportunity. To, to, to put this into practice. Creating opportunities uh, to put apologetics into practice. Um, when, when I was at the college that I was teaching at in Arizona, uh, we were just a few miles away from Arizona State University, which is actually the, the most populous college campus in the U.S. Something like 85,000 students or something on campus. It's just insanity how many, how many uh, kids are there. Um, and I used to use the illustration. I said, let's say you're walking across campus and, and uh, uh, an Asian guy walks up to you and, and says, hey, can I tell you about Buddhism? Would you be interested in hearing about Buddhism? Are you interested in hearing about Buddhism from him? Now, here's, here, here's the, the thing. Some of you are going to be like, yes, because I can turn this conversation toward the gospel, right? And you, you kind of know that. But in ordinary circumstances, you know, if you're walking, if you're going somewhere, and someone says, someone just kind of stops you on the street, hey, could I tell you about my religion? Are you interested in hearing what they have to say? And the answer is, I think, for the most part, no. If you're, if you're on your way to something else, if, if someone were to come up to your door and, and want to engage you in a conversation about religion, for the most part, you're not interested in what they have to say. Like I said, you know, if you have a Mormon come to your door, you may engage them in conversation, but it's not because you're interested in what they have to say. Okay. Why are you not interested in, in what the Buddhist has to say when he accosts you on the college campus? Because you know it's not true. Okay. Part of it is, as Christians, we are convinced we have the truth. Um, let's say you had that same guy uh, was your coworker, and after uh, a, a couple of weeks, of, you know, several weeks of working together, maybe a couple months, 
uh, you got to know him, you know, he, he subbed for you when you needed uh, an evening off or whatever, and, and you developed a little bit of a relationship. And, uh, you know, one day he says, hey, would you like to hit Starbucks after work? You know, I'm, I, I, you know I, I've told you before I'm a Buddhist, and I, I'd, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about what we believe. Are you more or less inclined to take him up on his offer than what he just accosted you on, the, uh, on campus? You're, you're less inclined to listen at that point? Well, if he wants to meet with me just to tell him about his religion, I guess I... Yeah, I, and, and I understand what... I, understand. I, I mean, I, that I, may not be, you know, that may, if that's not something I would want to hear, I probably want sure. to tell him. Sure. Tell them, you know, what I believe, but I mean... Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying. I see your point. I guess, I guess from my perspective, when you've built up a, a bit more of a relationship, uh, at least at least for me, and, and, you know, hey, everybody's answer is just as good. <laughs> no, in, in this case, it really is a, a, a bit of a personal preference thing. But, but for me, in a situation like that, as I've gotten to know someone... You know, it, 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 we've developed a bit of a relationship, a bit of a friendship. I, I'm at least interested to hear some more about him. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, he's he's earned something of an audience, if that makes some sense. Uh, just just from being a friend. Um, the reality is. I see what you're saying. We had this conversation earlier today, almost <laughs> identical. Wow. The Bob did one. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just, yeah, he kept hearing Buddhism with her, and she just she was getting tired of it. But uh, my point is, if 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 you consider it from the other guy's point of view, most people are not interested in your religious opinions. Most people are not interested in your religious opinions in, in terms of. Most people that you come in contact with, that if you just try to strike up a conversation about the gospel, cold. Again, does God sometimes bless those encounters? Are, are there times where someone is just ready to hear? Yes, <coughs> certainly. But the reality is most people... Um, I'll, I'll, I'll rabbit trail just a little bit here. I think at some point in the class we talked about modernism and postmodernism. Okay, um, very quickly, modernism. Uh, if you think a scientist in his lab, you're you're in the ballpark of thinking what a modernist worldview is like. The modernist says uh, the world is out there; it's, it's full of facts, and if I just have the right method. When I go to the facts, I'll find the truth. Okay, that's modernism. That's the worldview that really dominated uh, Western thought, probably from the 1500s to the to the mid 1900s. Okay, uh, a worldview that was essentially modernistic. It, it had it had a confidence that we could find no truth. What comes after modernism is postmodernism, and, and I think some of you are familiar with this already. The essential characteristic of postmodernism is the skepticism that there is truth, or if there is truth, the skepticism that anyone could really know it. 
right? Maybe, maybe there is truth, but how would you know that you know it? You know, that kind of thing. That's postmodernism. And so, in a postmodern society, no one's convinced that there's any truth, and so everyone's opinion, everyone's answer is just as good as anyone else's answer, right? That is a, that's a pretty standard postmodern point of view. Um, you know, what's true for you, that's fine, I have my own truth, that kind of thing. But what's the viewpoint when the guys in the white coats skew, skew the numbers? <laughs> no, so, they, so they can get uh, control over people. Yeah, that's, that, I, I, I don't know that that, well, it may have that climate gate. Yes, exactly. <laughs> nice. But, uh, but the point of it, as it's related to evangelism, is that in a society that is essentially modernistic, which, uh, again, if you back up 30, 40, 50 years in this country, people generally thought there was truth, right? I mean, that was just kind of a given, that there's, you know, don't, don't tell me this nonsense about truth for you, truth for me. There, there is truth, and, and we may not know what it is, but it, there, we, there is truth. In a society like that, I think you can knock on someone's door, and, and they open the door and you say, hey, I have the truth, and there is at least some sort of willingness to listen to that, to evaluate that, okay? Which is why 50 years ago, it was not, I mean, it was a very, very common thing for churches who wanted to grow to do what? Door-to-door -door evangelism, right? We're just going to knock on doors and present the gospel to people. Because in a society that says truth is there, and I'll be willing to listen to a presentation of truth, I think that can be a it can be a successful evangelistic strategy. In a postmodern society, where people aren't sure that there's truth, knocking on their door and saying, hey, I have the truth, how effective is that? And, and, and I would argue, largely not effective. Okay, again, not saying it's bad to do. I'm not saying it's, you know, if you do that, you're foolish. I'm not saying any of those things. I, there are people that are still faithful in door-to-door -door evangelism, and, and, and they see fruit from it. And, 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 you know, I mean this sincerely. God bless them. But I think very often the people that we're dealing with in society today um, don't put a high premium on truth. It's not something they value highly. Um, what I would suggest, what in, in the society that we live in today, if people don't value truth primarily as a measure of credibility, what do they value as a measure of credibility? Okay, often it is what they believe, but if they're going to trust someone else, Okay. In a modernist society, if you're going to trust someone else, if you're a modernist, how do you trust someone else? What, what, what would cause you to trust someone else if you're a modernist? My observation. Yeah. Do they have their data lined up? Do they have a good argument? Right? In a postmodern society, why do you trust someone? And, 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 and not just get because there's some people I've gotten to know that I don't trust. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, <laughs> no, I, but, I, but I know what you mean. Clarify what you mean. 
Well, you, you've gone out with them or you've done things together as a family sure. or in church or, or in their church even? A, a lot of it happens to do. Um, modern people trust when they, when they feel, that's an important word, that you are for them. That makes sense. Or at least not opposed to. Right, right. That that you're not you're not you're not pu just pushing something. That, that there has to be often, and again, th there are exceptions, right? There, there are, uh, let's not stereotype everyone. But very often, what people are looking for today is is a a, a community. Uh, no pun intended here, right? Uh, a, a community. Uh, some fellowship uh, relationships, um, those sorts of things give credibility to the message for people today. What that means is this, then. Um, before, before I was working at FedEx, I spent, the, like I said, the last four years teaching at a, a Christian college. Uh, I lived in the residence hall with the guys um, as, as a dorm supervisor. I, I could literally go extended you know, days, weeks, without having a serious conversation with an unbeliever. Right? Um, even when you're at work and you, you're you're doing work with unbelievers. Um, I, I don't know what any any of you do, or, I, or I've heard bits and pieces, but um, often a work setting is not the sort of setting that you get to know someone. It depends on the sort of job you do. You know, when I work at FedEx, I go in in the morning, and, and, and what I want to do is get my packages on my truck and get out of there, right? And then I want to get rid of all of my packages. Um, it really isn't a time for standing around and getting to know people because that's just costing everybody money. <laughs> um, and the point that I'm the point that I'm struggling to make here, if we are going to have opportunities to share the gospel, to defend the faith, we are going to have to do things intentionally to create relationships with unbelievers. Um, and, and uh, those sorts of things are going to demand, almost always going to demand time, a, a revamping of a schedule at some level, um, getting involved in something, uh, a legitimate activity, right, in which you can, you can meet and have regular contact with the same unbelievers um, to build those sorts of relationships. Uh, and again, we, we, you will find sometimes an evangelistic opportunity just walks right into your, you know, walks right into your office or walks right up to your home. Um, when I was when I was in Arizona, this guy called. Um, I was in charge of the singles department at the at the church there, and this guy called asking if we had any singles activities. Uh, and I said, you know. It's, told him the schedule and whatever. Um, turned out this guy was prob probably 80 years old, I think. <laughs> um, 
he's not, he wasn't really fitting in with the rest of the singles, but um, he, he lo I, I think he looked at himself as, as a lay Roman Catholic apologist. And really what he was looking for is to come in and have an audience. He wanted to come in and, and be a Roman Catholic missionary in our Baptist church. And so I didn't give him that audience, but, but he and I talked uh, a lot. He would come into my office and, and we'd talk. Um, I was, the conversation kind of ended when I moved, and I was getting close to ending already because he wasn't interested in listening, and I'm not going to become a Catholic. So it, you reach a certain point where it just wasn't profitable to have the conversation anymore. Uh, but occasionally you do have those situations where you know, someone walks up and says, what must I do to be saved? I, I'm just suggesting, in, in many of our lives, okay, I will, I will be the first one to confess that this is true in my life. I have really nothing in my life right now in which I have regular contact with the same unbelievers, except work. And, and there, there are some things that I'm, I'm hoping to pursue there in terms of opportunities to share the gospel with people. Um, but, but if we're going to be faithful uh, stewards of those things that have been entrusted to us in this class and other venues, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to create those opportunities. Um, we live in an um, increasingly depersonalized society, right? Uh, I happen to love the self-checkout line at the grocery store. Um, when, when the waitress comes to the table, um, I want her to take my order. I want her to bring my food and keep my, my glass refilled. I'm not really interested in chatting with her. You ever have the overly chatty waiter or waitress, right? Um, it, and what I'm demonstrating in all of that is I'm treating people like things. Right? I'm treating a person like an it rather than like a him or a her. Um, we do that. We do that at work. When I talk about us not having opportunities to get to know one another at work, very often for your colleague, you're you're it really uh, you could be replaced with a computer who does your job for all they care. I mean, you're just another cog in the machine to keep the business running. Does that make sense? They're not interested in you as a person. They're interested in you as, as a task. And, and we them, unfortunately. Okay. What's that? They pay your check. And that's, yeah. I used to actually make the statement that if they didn't pay me, I wouldn't come here. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. It's a transaction. You're, you're, you're a transaction. It, it, you know, with the, the cliche, you're just a number, it, it's very true, right? And, and, and everything about our society, you know, you get up in the morning and you, you punch the little button in the, in the car, the garage door opens, you pull out, you know, and at the end of the day you punch the button and you pull in back, in, back into your secure castle and, and, you know, we don't see anybody. All I'm saying is if we're going to be witnesses for Christ, we're going to have to make intentional efforts to cultivate those sorts of relationships. Because, like I said, I think we're going to be largely unsuccessful presenting the gospel, just cold turkey to people. This has no political statement attached to it. This is an honest question. Uh, unlike the last one. Uh, I, 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 think of, I think of the 
I think of the New Testament, okay? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you describe what in the last, you know, 100 years or so are the two big worldviews sure, that, sure. we, that we look at. In that day, in that day, they were looking at basically just just idolatrous, just idolatrous sure. uh, world, uh, and that's all it was. I mean, it was just uh, it, it. You know, the gods varied uh, where you went, ever in the Roman Empire, but you know that's that's what they did, except the Jews. Uh, sure. But, but everybody else was just 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 was just plain old idolaters. And I'm just wondering, what exactly did they do? I mean, there's some hints of it, but what really did they do to uh, to gain an audience? Um, to gain an audience? Well, In other words, is, is I, as I look at the New Testament, I, I don't see the Apostle Paul really building, you know, a report. He just, sure. just, just simply preached. I mean, so, I mean, in, in a sense, he yeah. did. I see First Thessalonians 1 and 2, and which are key ministry chapters, and I see, okay, there's report there, but mm -hmm. it just seemed like, man, they went in there and they just started yeah. preaching. Let me, and let me, out in the, you know, the marketplace. Yeah. Turn to Acts 17, really quickly. Um, <coughs> Because it's an interesting point, and, and I am not by any... Our two obligations, uh, among others, but two, of our op two of our big obligations as Christians is to interpret our Bibles correctly and interpret our culture correctly, right? And both of them have to be exegeted. Both of them have to be understood so that we know what the Bible says and then we know how that's going to look uh, given, given our culture. Um, I am not claiming to be an infallible interpreter of our, of our society today. But just to give a, a, a bit, a, a, just a, a quick picture of the sort of society Paul was walking around in. Look at a very famous passage. This is a big passage for apologetics. Acts 17, look at verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there, exactly like you were talking about. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. So there are other people walking around in the marketplace who had their own philosophies that they were teaching. Uh, some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for God. Uh, they said this because Paul was preaching the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. And, and I've heard some interpreters suggest, and this seems plausible to me, that the accusation was Paul is preaching for God, Jesus and anastasis, the Greek word for resurrection, and that they misunderstood Paul's point that, that instead of believing in Jesus who rose, they understood this as a, a male and female deity, Jesus and Anastasia. Um, <clears throat> verse 19, they, Then they took him and brought him to the meeting at the Areopagus, where they said to him, 
May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. Here's the verse that I wanted to draw your attention to, verse 21. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing, uh, lived there, spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Okay. Um, Paul talks about this in, in uh, the letters to the Corinthians as well. He talks about how his approach, he very uh, purposefully avoided some of the techniques of the wandering philosophers that were in Corinth. Um, it, 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 apparently, it seemed to have been common for uh, a, a philosopher who was seeking followers to get up and, and, and just start teaching on the street corners and, and people to be impressed with his rhetoric, his ability to turn a phrase, um, and, and it was a way of trying to gain followers. And Paul said, when I went to Corinth, uh, I did not want to come across the same way as these guys. So I kept my preaching very simple, very direct. Now, do we have philosophers recruiting followers on our street corners? Yeah, <laughs> I, I haven't seen one recently. I mean, I don't live in a big city, and I'm sure there are in some cities. Do we have places where people are just interested in listening to ideas. Like? What, what? Well, no, I meant like, like, like you could go to a coffee shop, there's boards, there's places where they, they serve out poetry. I mean, I, I, I mean, you know. If you were to pick a city in Michigan where something like that would be most likely to happen, what would it be? Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor, right? College town. A Athens is very much like in Ann Arbor, right? Or Ann Arbor is very much like in Athens. Um, there are places where this sort of approach, I'm just going to get up and tell you what I think is the truth, um, very much fits what's, it, but notice that Paul's not the only one doing this here. Um, he, he is operating within a cultural expectation, right, where, where Paul would go to a new city, where's the first place he'd go? He'd go to the synagogue because they would allow guest rabbis to speak. And so he'd go there and he would present the message that Jesus is Messiah. Um, he is utilizing features of the culture that allow that direct statement of, of truth. I think we have some of those still today. You know, we mentioned things like coffee shops. I, I hesitate to do this because I think there's some, some drawbacks to this, but. Maybe a, a modern-day example of this would be something like talk radio, right? I, I, I don't think everything that goes on in talk radio is intelligent by any stretch of the imagination. It is, it is clearly set up primarily to entertain. Um, it uses information as a means to entertainment. Um, uh, but, but maybe that's... Maybe that's an avenue of, okay, here's a, here's a spread of ideas, and so we, we use the radio to, to get out our message, something along those lines. I think we need to think about how in our culture, how do people expect to hear the truth delivered? Now, I'm not saying we can form our message entirely to the culture, because what is our primary means of, of declaring the truth? As, what is the primarily Christian means of declaring the truth? Uh, 
preaching. Right? That is the primarily Christian way. And we never give that up. That is Christian. That's not just culture. Right? Uh, but, but in terms of how are we going to get an audience for the gospel um, in, in our society, I think we have to read society. Okay? And so I'm not suggesting my answers are the only answers here. I think there may be times where this sort of direct and open proclamation is exactly what's called for. Um, where, where you have a venue for presenting an, for presenting ideas, and that's and and we just take advantage of the venue that's there. Uh, I think that's exactly what Paul is doing in, in Athens. He walks up there, and you know, people just love hearing ideas. Well, here I'll give you mine, right? Um, but I think it's 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 going to be a process of of weighing, evaluating. Is is this the the best format? Is this not the best format? So my point isn't to give you. Here are all the definitive answers. My point is to make you think about how we're going to take advantage of opportunities. Yeah. So it's a very good question. Very good point about about the New Testament period. Are there some good questions you could use to initiate them to ask a question on faith? <laughs> A question that gets them to ask. I work with kids on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And one day when I was in class, one of the kids asked one of the other teachers, who was the person that lived the longest? Mm -hmm. And she calls over to me and says, do you know? And I said, yeah, I'm a mm -hmm. So then we got into a slight discussion. Sure. So that was initiated by a student. Yeah. But could, could there have been another way when I'm sitting with my kids initiate a question where they would ask me a question that would come from the Bible, like, is there really a devil? Yeah. Uh, things like that. I mean, in, in terms of uh, apologetics in particular, what I'm, what I'm seeking to do in conversation is to get people to, to consider, to ask themselves about their ultimate values and, and the basis um, you know, so so political discussions tend to be very fruitful mm -hmm. for something like this. You know, someone is adamant. You know, we should have health care for every American. Well, you know, okay, that's that's an interesting point of view. And I could I could see that would that would be. Why do you think that's so important? Well, you know, I I heard a, I heard a woman on talk radio. Um, I think it was, I think it was. Was it NPR? May have been NPR. Um, <coughs> no, it was WWG. Whatever. It was. It was some some uh, news radio, and it was, you know she was just random woman on the street, and they're asking her what she thought about healthcare, and you know all Americans should have healthcare because if we're healthy, then we can be at work and we're productive. Do you know how Marxist that is? <laughs> You know, that's just a step that, that the measure of a person's value is his is, be at work, right? is his role is his role in the machine, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but but those sorts of issues, you know, the healthcare should should the federal government uh, healthcare um, set up provide money for abortions? No. Well, <laughs> yeah, I tend I tend to be on your side. But but the question there, um, you know, that when that question comes up at work, that's exactly the scenario that leads into questions about people's ultimate values. 
Um, and, and what I'm seeking to do, if I'm going to take the conversation and drive it to the gospel, I want to find out what's important to someone, what they think is really meaningful, what they think is really significant. Um, that that you know, I would I would fight for this. You know, I I, uh, I heard heard a guy on NPR this. I, I listen to NPR as I'm driving my truck into work in the morning. I, I don't know why, just to irritate myself and things like that. Um, but they were, they were interviewing one of these, it was, it was some, some scientist activist for uh, global, about global warming, and he was talking about how he's, he's been arrested now twice, you know, in protests for global warming research or whatever. And he talked about how he, you know, he's willing to do it again. Okay, well, he obviously is very passionate about this, right? Why? You know, why does he think this is so important? Well, ultimately it comes down to an issue of he thinks this is what is necessary for human beings to survive. Well, why is it important for human beings to survive? Right? If, 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 if our, uh, no pun intended, if our time in the sun as a species is over... It's over. What does it matter? And it doesn't matter, given an atheist worldview. Um, any any conversation like that, where you're dealing with someone's values, are co- and, and and my my point isn't to to discuss any of these issues that I brought up here now. Uh, my point is, these are the sorts of things that I use to 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 push someone toward toward questions that get get me back to the gospel. Um, you know, okay, you say all this, but you know your worldview doesn't doesn't allow you to say stuff like that. And and that's what what I want the unbeliever to do when he walks away from the conversation. If he doesn't accept the gospel, obviously that's the, that's the main thing that I want. But I want him to walk away fighting himself, right? Even more than fighting me. Right? I'm going to present the gospel. I'm going to present the truth. But a lot of what I'm doing in an apologetic encounter is asking the unbeliever to ask himself why he believes certain things. And, and if I ask questions the right way, I'm going to show him that his worldview is an is a, uh, irremedial mess. Right? Does that make sense? He believes all these things that his worldview won't account for. And he walks away going, I, I know I want this to be true, but if this is true, this can't be true. And I don't want to give this, because if I give this up, then I have to be a Christian. <laughs> um, and, and, and I want him fighting that battle. Really what I'm doing, Romans 1 talk tells us that the unbeliever is suppressing the truth. Right, the truth is trying to pop up, and the unbeliever is, you know, he's 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 like the kid with his his fingers in the dam, trying to keep the water from coming through. He keeps, you know, finding another finger, sticking a toe in there, and 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 all I'm doing is walking over to the wall as he's doing that and pulling out rocks. That 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 is really a a picture of my apologetic technique, is or a tickling, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, it, it, it isn't so much that I'm trying to, and, and here's the, the, my second major point. This is here's the transition. The second major point that I wanted to address first is how do we, 
create situations where we can have these discussions. The second one, um, just a reminder, in all these discussions, our primary goal is to win the man, not to win the debate. To win the man, not to win the debate. Yeah? When you ask another question, it goes right along with that. And that is, can it be things that, you know, that I've, I've been struggling with? And, and uh, the thing is, is it seems like to me almost, and I am not going to say things that, that it is, but it almost at times it seems like there, there are two different standards or there are two different ways in which God uh, uses Christians in, in the New Testament. It seemed like those that were on the apostolic <coughs> team were like just, I mean, you know, that was blitzkrieg. Uh, I mean, it was full, sure. frontal, full frontal attack, 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 go sure. after it. I mean, go preach hard and preach and preach and preach. And you know, just and uh, you know, and you know, get 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 persecuted that way. But you know, mm -hmm. but after churches were established, it seems like actually the New Testament in the epistles doesn't deal with evangelism. <coughs> I agree. Really, a lot. Right. It deals with quality of life. And when I say quality of life, about a Christian's quality right. of life about walking with the Lord, right. honesty, the Christian and, and the church, etc., and, and uh, yeah. being a good witness, and it just seems like like the expectation for the apostolic team was one thing, but the but but after the apostolic team gets the church planted, it seemed like the expectation was the main witness is to be your life. You know, and then from that, then you get opportunity to witness verbally. I think that the primary difference is with the apostles. You have Paul, for instance, talking about how he wanted to go to Spain with the gospel. Why did he want to go to Spain? I want to go where the gospel had been preached before. Um, and, and that was really, it seems to what, what seems to be what's driving the apostolic witness is, you know, <laughs> in those days, you went to a city with a gospel message, it was the first <coughs> time. <laughs> um, I think that's probably the uniqueness of it. Uh, that, you know, Paul goes into Athens with the gospel, okay, this is the first time, this is the gospel's debut in Athens. Once a church is planted in Athens, it isn't. It, it's not new in the same way. It isn't. It isn't. The antithesis, the conflict of ideas, is still there, but it, it doesn't have the sharpness of the brand new thing. Um, so I, I do think you're right in your read of the New Testament that that uh, Paul's letters, Peter's letters, John's letters to the churches are not primarily about go soul-winning. Right. It, 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 it just isn't there. Um, but, you know, we do have Peter telling us to be ready to give an answer for those that ask about your hope. Um, or uh, Paul commending the Philippians uh, when they joined in with his defense of the gospel. And, and so you see, uh, I think there is the expectation of a verbal witness. Um, 
we, you're, I, I think you're right that we just don't have a whole lot of data as to how that looked uh, after the initial trailblazing of, of Paul. But it just seems like in church history that, that once, you know, once churches were established in the various towns and cities mm -hmm. across the Roman Empire, that there just wasn't that hard push that there was ready to be. Yeah, I, and I, I think there's still a place for that today. Um, I, I think the work of the evangelist, biblically, I agree, Dr. Combs has an article in, in one of the Detroit journals. I think it's available on their on the Detroit website, dbts.edu, if you go to the journal page. He has an article defending the idea that the New Testament evangelist, the office of evangelist in the New Testament, uh, is probably most closely related to what we think of as a church planter. Uh, I think he's right. Uh, that that our modern office of the evangelist, which I think, I think Dr. Combs called, uh, invented this, this expression, the itinerant exhorter, which is, which is what we have as, as the evangelist. Um, not that it's unbiblical, but that it's biblical. That, that sort of ministry isn't really mentioned in scripture. But that the, what the evangelist was doing in the New Testament was going places and planting churches. I think there's still, I think there's still place for that. Um, in our country, throughout the world, um, I think missions is doing exactly the sort of groundbreaking work, particularly in places that that haven't heard. Right? Um, and and all indications is, is you know one of the next big fields um, for for evangelism and for the spread of the gospel is probably China. Um, as I understand it, there are more like, more than likely more Christians in China than in America. Now, part of that's because they have a billion people. <laughs> so, so just percentage-wise, you know, there's a tiny little fraction of the people, but it's more than America. Um, but I, I think there are places that the, the gospel has yet to penetrate that this exact sort of thing can be replicated. Uh, it is. It is different when you're going to people, you know, I lived four years in South Georgia. Uh, I lived four, four years in South Georgia. It's sort of like China. And, what's that? It's sort of like China. It's sort of like China, yeah. Um, I'm, just, I'm not going to touch it. Um, but, but, you know, you live in South, South Georgia and everyone's a Christian, right? Yeah. You know, everybody's a Christian. Well, the, the, the gospel witness is going to be somewhat different in a place like that. You know, you, you have to spend a lot of time getting people unsaved in <laughs> South Georgia before you, can, before you can present the gospel to them. Um, you say that, but I find that in my life today, in my surroundings. Yeah, but it's... it's I mean, it's, I don't find... I hardly ever come across anybody that is atheistic in the way that you present an atheist. Sure. They want to debate about atheism. Most of the time, it is, okay, you believe in God, mm -hmm. but most of my witness is, but what God? What do you believe about sure. God? Sure. And where do you derive that? Yeah. Because most of these people that I talk to at work or wherever, they have information about God. But it came from Joel Olstein. It came from you know. Yeah. And I'm like, well, have you ever picked up the Bible and read it? 
oh yeah, I've, well, I've read, you know, I've heard this, and, then, and I'm like, no, yeah. I'm talking, have you read John, have you read, you know, right. any of it, Romans, Roman, any of it, you know, uh, when you get down to it, most of them have, right. yet, they have a very strong oh, opinion absolutely. about God, what lack they of believe lack in, of right? information. so it's like, I have to defragment, right, and you have to defragment them of, you know, right, no, I, I think they, 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 and that's most of the people I mean, Mike. I mean, that I talk to. It's, yeah, it's not. I hardly ever run into the guy. It's, and maybe that's colleges that you, you know you see a lot of that. I, well, surprisingly, but I would say the difference, the difference, probably the biggest difference, just regionally, and this is, this isn't the point of, of of all of this, is that most people's perception of Christianity in Southeast Michigan is shaped primarily by what organization? If you had to pick one organization that shapes most people in Southeast Michigan's view of Christianity, what would that organization be? Catholic Church. Catholic Church. In the South, it's, it's whatever Baptist Church. And, and so there is a difference in terms of even how people relate to what the gospel is um, and their understanding of what the gospel is. And I guess that's kind of what I was getting at, is that the, the, the evangelical language of I'm saved, that's very common for everyone in the South, whereas Roman Catholics generally don't talk about being saved. Um, and so that's what I was getting, when, when you have to get people unsaved, they actually think that they're, you know, oh yeah, I, I would, I, everyone, everyone got saved at a vacation Bible school. You know that that kind of thing. Where it's, that it's not exactly exactly that sort of thing up here. But I totally get what you're saying. I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, it's not even about. I mean, it's not even about being saved. I mean, whether they're saved or not. I mean, I always they have they've already formed some kind yeah. of opinion about God. Yep. I mean, whether it's whether you're Muslim or whatever. Yep. I mean, I mean, I I work in different these. I had a muscle that worked with him. We had yeah. long conversations, and and yeah, I mean, he believes in Abraham and uh, yep. the line of Abraham. It's a little different. It yeah, it's off a little bit. You know, <laughs> uh, different brand. The one that I believe in, you know, but uh, you know, uh, but we've had those conversations. Yeah. And so it's, uh, I mean, most of the time it's not. I don't believe in God at all. Sure. I hardly ever. I mean, one person maybe, and then he. I got into the point where he obviously believes in God because. You know, he cracks on it about half the time, you know. Sure. So, yeah. So everybody he, he always comments. he always makes comments that he doesn't. You know, he make he'll make atheistic comments, but he also say pray for me, you know. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why would you do that? You know? Why would I pray for you? <laughs> yeah, wrong.
But it's the still same of Persia, right? That's a good, good agnostic, right? I, I think I mentioned the comment from John Frame that a good agnostic should have to attend church every other week. Um, I, I, I think that's... Here's the fun thing. Uh, what you're going to find is that no two apologetic encounters are the same. Uh, a lot of the material that we've presented in this class, and this is a good point that you brought up, a lot of the material that we've presented in here is about hardcore atheism. Okay. If you want to adapt that for the situation, the, the key idea, okay, big idea here, there are, there are two ways of, well, We'll, we'll, I'll break it down, I'll make it three for simplicity's sake. Three basic approaches that someone can take toward ultimate questions. They can either view themselves as their own ultimate authority, which is where the vast majority of people are, right? Most Roman Catholics in Southeast Michigan, are they good Roman Catholics? No, they're terrible Roman Catholics. Um, do they believe what the church believes on most significant issues. No, they don't, I mean, they don't even, I mean, does the Roman Catholic Church teach any orthodox doctrine? Yes, the Trinity, the, the, do, most Roman Catholics in Southeast Michigan don't believe the things that the Catholic Church teaches that I like, right? Um, much less the, the other, you know, if you, if you told most of your Catholic acquaintances what the church believes about the Lord's table, would they buy it? No. No. And part of the reason for that is that I've met so many Catholics, and my wife has met many, and they're all in the same position, or at least they seem to be. They have never, ever read the Bible. Yeah. The yeah. priest has got the Bible. That's his job. Yeah. They just need to tell us what it says. Yeah. And if the priest didn't tell them that, yeah. they're wrong. But, but, I mean, you, you tell most Catholics, did you know your church believes that when the, when the priest consecrates the Mass, that that actually is the body and blood of Christ? Do you believe that? W what do you think the percentage is that doesn't? 75, 80, 80%? And, 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 and so they're, they're lousy Catholics. I mean that I mean that with love, but they, they really they're they're not even good Catholics. And so at that point, it's difficult to witness to them as a Catholic. You're almost witnessing to them the same way you would witness to an atheist. They're living their life as as, as their own autonomous authority. Does that make sense? They're, in that way they're in the same position as the village atheist. Um and so that's why I go that route. Now, occasionally you may meet a Roman Catholic who's a legit Roman Catholic, or a Muslim who's a legit Muslim, not just a cultural, you know, yeah, my family, you know, we do, you know, whatever the equivalent of a Christmas and Easter Muslim is. Um, I don't know what the, the, the equivalent to that would be. Um, and in those situations, it, it's going to be good to know, okay, this is what the Quran says. Um, and, and let me, let me uh, again, this is very random. 
I'm, I'm kind of bouncing around from subject to subject, but these are kind of closing practical thoughts. If you are going to get into a discussion about Roman Catholicism with the Catholic or Islam with the Muslim, um, if you were to uh, if, if an unbeliever were to try to figure out what Christianity is uh, from the basis on the basis of the best-selling books on Christianity, what kind of Christianity would he come up with? Okay, or I mean, you know, best-selling today, you do have Joel Osteen, yeah. right? Um, Joyce Meyer. Right, um, and and if, if yeah, if, if you had if you had an unbelieving friend who came up to you and said, "Well, I've done a lot of research on Christianity. I know what Christianity teaches," you'd go, "Oh, come on! You don't have the first clue what Christianity teaches." And if you consider how many different groups of Christians would say that about all the other groups of Christians. So, uh, so a person comes up to you and says, you know, I just can't buy Christianity because the whole idea of baptizing infants is ludicrous. And you say, we don't do that. Do you realize how much of a minority you are in terms of Christianity in not baptizing infants? Okay. Um, one of the things you have to do in studying Islam is recognize that there is nearly as much diversity in positions of Islam as there are positions of Christianity. And so for you to go into the conversation saying, oh, I, I, I read three books on Islam. I know what Islam teaches. Do you know, I mean, that's that, that arrogant and misguided as, as the unbeliever coming to you and say, I read three books on Christianity. You know, you, know, you may say you read the Quran through, but there are people who've read the Bible who have no idea what the Bible says, right? Or here's another thing I would caution you against. I, I I'm no expert on Islam. One of the things I was going to do, one of the things I planned to do when I thought we had a few more weeks, was to bring in someone who was more well versed on on Islam. Um, can I find passages in in the Quran? that are very troubling, you know, kill the infidels, or, you know, Allah, or um, uh, Muhammad doing this, Muhammad doing that, yeah, I, I probably can. Can an unbeliever find passages in the Bible that are very troubling? Yeah, you know, uh, go in and exterminate all the Canaanites. Book of Job. The Book of yeah, right? Why did all these people die? Um, God telling Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Um, the, the story was that uh, Jephthah is vow sacrificing his daughter, or whatever you know, what, whatever it is that happened there. The crucifixion of Christ. Um, some of the Old Testament laws, which we would look at today and consider kind of odd, right? Um, you know, no eating shellfish, no wearing cotton poly t-shirts. Um, things along those lines. Um, 
And so if someone comes up to you and says, Leviticus says that homosexuality is an abomination and you think we should go with that, but you shave the corners off your beard and the same passage that says homosexuality is an abomination says don't shave the corners off your beard, you're an inconsistent hypocrite. Okay. Now, you're going to say, hold on, I've got an answer for that. Right? Here's how we read the Old Testament. Here's how we understand how God has revealed his moral nature and, and so on and so forth. Now, your answer to that is going to be fairly complex and nuanced, isn't it? <coughs> you have to be open to the possibility that the, more, or the, the Muslim is going to nuance his understanding of the Quran like that. Does that make sense? That you can't just pick and choose verses out of the Quran and use it to condemn it. Um, we have to be fair to our opponents. We always, all, part of winning the man and not winning the argument is not, is, is not looking for slam dunks. It's about treating our opponent fairly, representing his position the way he would represent his position. Right? To tell him, uh, this is how you, this is the sort of Muslim you ought to be, you know, it would be as ridiculous as saying, well, if you're a Christian, you have to believe in infant baptism. And we're like, no, I think there's a legit reason. You see what I'm saying? We have to be fair to our opponents. We always have to be fair to our opponents. Um, uh, that's just basic cordiality in, in winning the man rather than, rather than making the goal winning. What are the two other things of ultimate authority? I'm the ultimate authority. Um, Number two, the Christian God is the ultimate authority, which is the Christian position, or someone who claims to cede that authority to some other institution. So, for instance, a, a legit Roman Catholic, a legit Muslim. Okay. So, those, those are the three categories. Um, so, you have the, the true position, the Christian position. Then you have the guy who claims to be his own authority, or the guy who says, my authority is the church. Um, and, our, and our answers to those are going to be different. I think pretty much 95% of the people that we meet are going to be their own authority. And, and so like the, the, the person who likes God, but likes his own God, what I'm trying to do is, and, and I think your questions are right, you know, why do you believe that? What's your basis? Have you ever read the Bible? You're, you're trying to expose to that person that though they claim to believe in God, really God for them is them. Um, and, and so I think you're asking the right sorts of questions. Um, in fact, what I want to do is expose their anti-God to them because they don't, they don't understand it. They don't see it. Who wants to have the last question? Did you erase those little fragments at one point? I did. Yeah, I, I did. left those for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I take care of it. <laughs> so I got a question for you. For you really. <laughs> what are you going to be doing in five years? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, I, my my hope is that my dissertation will be submitted next January, not this upcoming January, but next January. Uh, so that I march in the spring of 2011 with my, my PhD. Um, and then I'm going to go one of, one of two directions, either back 
to academics, um, probably teaching in a seminary. Um, I, I, there's one in particular in, in Minneapolis that um, the president and I have talked about me teaching there. Um, or pursuing uh, church work, pastoral work, perhaps even as we talked about tonight, church planting. Um, that appeals to me a great deal. Um, and perhaps even heading back out in a westerly direction uh, where my wife is from. There is a, there are huge needs in the western part of the U.S. Um, you know, we, if, if, if you're, all you're familiar with is uh, the churches of southeast Michigan where we have good Bible preaching churches accessible all over this part of the state, um, that you, you get further out west and, and, and sound Bible preaching church, churches are a rarity. You've got a lot of wacky nuttiness as you move left in this country uh, in, in, in all sorts of directions, liberal nuttiness and conservative nuttiness. One time I was driving out in Wyoming, and I didn't expect this at all, but uh, I... Uh, I was uh, just going through the radio <laughs> one time on the truck, and I was listening to it. Sounded like a guy in his 30s, maybe early 40s, but he was giving an apologetic for the L of the tulip. Yeah. And the guy was just, just very calmly <laughs> and just getting it. And I mean. Very, very good. And, you know, <laughs> Wyoming. And, and this was in Wyoming, and I'm like, wow. Why? I didn't, I didn't even think there were any four point. I, didn't, <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought, I was surprised there were even any four point calendars in Wyoming, much less than five, you know? That's funny. Yeah, I, I, I would have, I, I was being surprised. And the guy well. was giving me very huh. good, very, just an excellent. Huh. And he did it on a word study approach, you know, of what, yeah, what is sure. the meaning of the whole world. And he discounted the, yeah. the, our argument of, of what's unlimited sure. Meaning, and he showed the other passages yeah. where the whole world really doesn't mean sure. the whole world. Yeah. Huh. Very and, interesting. And it was just, you know, it, and uh, I, yeah, I was just really surprised. That was Wyoming. I just didn't think yeah. anybody Surprise, thought Surprising. Surprising. So the, the short answer is either preaching or teaching, <laughs> one of the two. Well, I, I, so, I, so I shouldn't look for you on YouTube. Um, <laughs> has, uh, hopefully not. Hopefully, hopefully that will be my primary outlet. We'll be looking for a book title. Yeah, by the oh, That's right. That's right. I've got to get my book written. So thank you all. Thank you. It's a pleasure teaching.